there are so many reasons why you would like to adjust to 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 the requirements of your uh, of the people in your team. So I I do think it's up to you to decide how you want your life to shape up. Whether you have a child, whether you have five children, whether you have an office full of 50 people who you think are all your children in some way. Welcome to the Alpha Female Podcast. I'm Robin Pino, formerly known as Baldwin, an essential oil educator, blogger, author, yoga teacher, MS thriver, and newly twin mama. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a show that will inspire you to embrace living like an alpha female. We'll guide you to create more work-life harmony for yourself, discover tips and tricks to achieve your goals and dreams, all while taking the best care of yourself. Now, on with the show. This show is brought to you by doTERRA Essential Oils. As an essential oil educator, I partnered with doTERRA in 2016 to diversify my income with them. I was drawn to the oils a few years before when I was diagnosed with MS and gifted an introductory kit with lemon, peppermint, and lavender essential oil. At the time, as I was learning to live with MS, I knew I needed to get better quality and quantity of sleep. So I started using lavender in my Epsom salt baths every night to signal to my body that it was time to go to sleep and the rest is history. I educated myself on the potency, purity, testing, and sourcing practices and discovered the company's heart of gold. So I'd like to do the same for you. I send out samples to anyone who has not yet tried doTERRA oils and you don't yet have a shopping account with them. So find me on Instagram. My new Instagram handle is at Robin Pino and that's P-I-N-E-A-U-L-T. Send me a DM saying I'd love to try some oils and then let me know one health pain point you're trying to solve. Send me your shipping address from there and then I'll pop a care package in the mail for you. You are listening to the Alpha Female Podcast, episode 195. All links and show notes can be found over at robinbaldwin.com forward slash podcast. Today on the show, we have Christina Mond Lakiani. She is an entrepreneur, international speaker, and artist. She started her career in a government office in her native Estonia, and by her mid-20s, achieved a level of success mostly known to male politicians at the end of their careers. It was shortly after that Christina and her husband founded Mind Valley. From a small meditation business operating out of the couple's apartment in New York, the company quickly grew in a global educational organization, offering top training for peak human performance to hundreds of thousands of students around the world. Christina believes life is too important to be taken seriously and makes sure to bring fun into every role, every one of her roles as a teacher, mother, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and world traveler. She helps her students to virtually hack happiness by taking them through her unique framework. She advocates that everyone is 100% responsible for their happiness and is entirely in charge of their own life, whether it's singing to her two children to sleep, playing the harp, going on a solo trip to the Amazon jungle to recharge, or joining groups of entrepreneurs such as Maverick 1000 on Richard Branson's Decker Island. Christina is set on taking in every moment and invites us to do the same. Her honesty and authenticity are breathtaking in a genuinely educational conversation on dealing with emotions and searching for the true meaning of happiness. So I just finished recording this episode early this morning before start before starting my work day and I was pleasantly surprised by the conversation. I'm always a little bit hesitant when I have a podcast booking agent reach out to me. I take a look at the bio um, and the talking points that they want to chat about on the podcast and I'm like, you know what? I think this is going to be perfect. And 
I let them know that I was doing a topic series around working woman to mom to working mom. And Christina gave such amazing perspectives. I found myself just um, like wrapped up in her presence and the way that she spoke and such a fascinating life. Like she's literally like name dropping Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama in the conversation. So um, I had a good little chuckle about it, but I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So let's get right into the show. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to chat with you. When your booking agent sent over your information, I was like, yep, need to get her on the show, like check. <laughs> um, and when I found out you're a mother as well, it was perfect timing uh, because our topic series is just, you know, really getting into how women have transitioned from working woman to mom to working mom um, and kind of that whole journey. So we'll start at the beginning uh, in terms of my favorite questions that I love to ask, but um, what do you think of the definition of an alpha female that I sent over and how do you see yourself as one? <laughs> it's uh, it's a very, uh, very um, interesting turn of events, of course, because uh, people are used to uh, using uh, uh, the word alpha with a male, although scientifically speaking, alpha female also exists. Um, I, I'm not sure if I consider myself an alpha female uh, specifically, because uh, I do find... Um, uh, it's sounding masculine, although to be honest, it's not uh, like scientifically speaking, it's not, it has nothing to do with um, male or female per se. It has to do more with the position in the, uh, in, in the uh, group of, uh, of specific animals. So, uh, in that sense, yes, I am a leader. I do have, uh, people who help me uh, go for my mission. But uh, why I say I don't think that I am, uh, strictly speaking, an alpha female is because I find my strength in uh, in my quirks and my oddities as a woman. <laughs> so that might not be exactly what society considers a leader or a, or a strong woman or or someone who is very, um, who's very assertive. Uh, I do believe I'm assertive, but uh, it's, um, it's not my primary trait. So my primary my primary traits would be uh, rather feminine and soft in that sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I'm an interesting specimen for you, probably. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't, even if I don't fit strictly speaking into your definition of alpha female. But I like I like how you defined it, and I really definitely appreciate the twist uh, twist in the phrase. Yeah, I think I'm tr- I'm trying to redefine what most people assume an alpha female is, and uh, you know that's why. I have this definition and the guests that I've had on the show have helped me cultivate mm-hmm. it. And it's definitely evolved over the years, but I, uh, I, I haven't really built in anything to do with how alpha female shows up in animal packs. Uh, <laughs> although like we, you know, we have talked about how, um, an alpha female wolf, you know, kind of leads, leads her pack. And, um, yeah, the, I think as the show evolves, I have more and more guests that come on and say like, I, I don't like to define myself. And I think that's, that's the hard mm-hmm. thing with a label and the, definitely the hard thing that I, um, I wouldn't say struggle, but definitely come up against as I record the show is that, you know, not everybody likes labeling themselves and adding, 
adding another label of alpha female is sometimes um, something that just doesn't feel good. So I, I keep saying whenever I'm uh, explaining the podcast to someone, when they say, oh, you have a podcast, I'm like, I, I interview ambitious women who know how to take care of themselves so that they can go after their goals. That's the, that's the basis of it. So I, I think yeah. it's awesome though, because uh, we humans, we like to put labels and there is a reason we, we struggle with them as we say like, oh, it's not good. You know, we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't have any stereotypes, but the truth is that our brain gets so overwhelmed. So obviously for simplicity, we label things, we expect certain things from people. So I think, um, Alpha female is a great name because it, first of all, uh, it uh, translates what you want to say. Uh, it's unusual. And also, it also makes you, uh, maybe even if it ruffles some feathers and somebody yeah. like me says, I don't know if I'm alpha female, but it is, uh, it is to the point. And uh, I think it's awesome. So, yeah. Okay. So tell our guests, we've read your bio, but tell our guests kind of throughout your journey, what, at what moments in your career and your life were you transitioning from, working woman to mom to working mom? It was, uh, my, my journey was um, uh, a little longer and winding, more winding than uh, maybe it should be or could be uh, because I transitioned from working woman, from alpha female in the most classical uh, <laughs> definition of that word, uh, into becoming um I wouldn't quite say a housewife, but just to explain the circumstances, I was born in the Soviet Union and I made a career here pretty quickly in, not in Soviet Union, obviously it's, it's collapsed by the time I was grown, but in, uh, in Estonia. And then I got married and, uh, my husband was not from, from Europe. Uh, he lived at that time and worked in US. Uh, so I, being a traditional, traditional girl who was, uh, uh, raised on the, uh, ideals and values of the 19th century, you know, <laughs> pre pre strong feminism times i just gave up everything and i went to live in new york with my then husband and um I had a I had a really great career here. Just just to understand the thing is because Soviet Union collapsed and and people were searching for something new, for new mentality, for new values. And I worked for the government, so obviously I worked at the time when our uh, prime uh, when when our youngest ministers were twenty seven years old because it's yeah. it was the collapse of a very old traditional system and people were searching for something new. So they, the ministers of that time, Minister of Education and Minister of Defense, were just a few years older than me. So uh, it was the country for the young and I was in the right place. I was making the career in the government. I, my colleagues from European Union were there in their 40s at that time. So they were 20 years older than me. Uh, and then I got married and uh, I said, yeah, wife has to follow her husband. So I dropped everything and I went to US. My husband was uh, not uh, an American citizen. So I was on a visa, which didn't allow work. So I found myself after having studied, after having been perfectionist, uh, after having made a career, fairly fast career, I found myself uh, totally unrequired by the society. New York is also a pretty harsh environment to be in. Uh, I discovered my bachelor degree from a great Estonian university. It didn't matter. Uh, people at interviews would ask me, so how do you speak English? I'm like, uh, exactly the same way as I'm speaking to you. Uh, <laughs> But it was uh, it was a strange time where I suddenly, uh, at the age of 25, 26, 
I suddenly realized I have to start from, from nothing, from zero. Uh, so I went back to university and then after university, I got pregnant. So it just happened so that my first uh, child was born after I got my master's degree actually in Scotland <laughs> so, so that I'd be <laughs> accepted by the Western world. Wow. So, um, and I got, I got pregnant. Uh, it was a conscious decision, um, but it was at the time when I didn't have career, when I just had graduated. Uh, and uh, I dedicated the first year of my motherhood to being a proper mother and doing everything by myself, hands-on mom, um, trying to be perfect <laughs> in, in that field where I got to be perfect. So I went back to work as a mother. Um, and that, that was the, the story, like the premise of the story. But then with the second child, a complete reverse thing happened because uh, somewhere between the first and the second child, I started my own business uh, separate from, from Mind Valley, which is my main business. But I started another, another business where I was more by myself, more, you know, like more trying to prove myself. Mm. Uh, and then I got pregnant. And then I remember that my second daughter was born, uh, in, uh, on Thursday. And on Saturday, I was thinking, Oh my God, when can I go back to work? <laughs> <laughs> I, and I loved spending time with my daughter, but uh, I was an entrepreneur. I went to, the, to deliver my, my baby and I Skyped my business partner and said, I think I'm delivering today. So yeah, that, that's how it worked with the second one. Yeah. So for me, the, the lines have always been very blurred. And it was just one long journey, and I never, I never had a transition per se. I was just flowing with the, with the river. Yeah. If that answers your question. Yeah. No, that's great. It's so great to kind of hear a little bit of your story and get some perspective of how it has flowed. Um, okay, I want to go back and say, so were you prepared for the transition to becoming a mom, um, or was that a bit of shell shock. How was your experience? It was definitely a shock uh, because uh, when I was uh, alone in the maternity ward with my <clears throat> newborn baby, who was a new human in my life, <clears throat> I didn't know him yet. Uh, I remember looking out of the window and, and remembering that it was less than a year ago that we were celebrating graduation from university. And that was definitely in Scotland. <laughs> yeah. So that's definitely a very different type of life. Um, but uh, we are Spartan here in Estonia. So uh, on day three, my doctor came to visit me and she said, why are you not walking your child? Uh, so I started going out into the world uh, quite, quite soon. With the second child, it was easier, of course, because I realized that child is logistical complication, but it is not the end of the world. And it's not, it doesn't mean you can't do uh, what you like to do. So, um, but we have so many reasons why we might have to adjust to our circumstances, child or not child. For some people, it's, well, sorry for the funny comparison, but the pet, <laughs> for some people, it's uh, aging parents or any other reasons or in office, we think they think they can't leave. So it's not about the circumstances per se that you have in your life. It's I believe it is much more about how you take it. Do you take it as it's up to me to decide what I'm going to do? Mm. So example, with the second child, I really wanted to go back to work, but I also wanted to be a mom. And actually, just, just to give context, I breastfed both of my babies for one and a half years, so three years in total. So with the second child, I just uh, brought her to the office with my nanny and they used the meditation room for napping. And then whenever she needed to eat, I'll, I'll be uh, breastfeeding her in the middle of the meeting. And I know that I, maybe you can say, 
you can decide that it's your business. But I believe that nowadays there are so many reasons why uh, employers should listen to employee and, and adjust to certain uh, lifestyle requirements, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's child or some people want to be nomads. There's, there are so many reasons why you would like to adjust to, to, to the requirements of your uh, of the people in your team. So I, I do think it's up to you to decide how you want your life to shape up whether you have a child, whether you have five children, whether you have an office full of 50 people who you think are all your children in some way. (laughs) Um, That's interesting. I think with social media, we have two sides of the coin. You know, we have so many women leading different uh, forms of motherhood, entrepreneurship, and they're showing us how they're doing it. So you can kind of pick and choose. You're like, oh, I really like that. Let me see if I can try that on for size in my life. But then there's also the comparison trap where we see, oh, I wish I could do that like that. My circumstances just don't allow for that, or I haven't asked for it, or I haven't figured out how I can bring that into my life. So then you, then you see the comparison itis issue that uh, exists in the world. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely like two sides of the coin that social media is showing us what is possible. Um, Mm. and also uh, can, can put us kind of behind saying, Oh, I, I just don't have that. So definitely, definitely an interesting, um, I think era to be in as a mom being able to learn from so many different women to see how, how we can structure our lives with the podcast, you know, before I became a mom is very much uh, a guide for women to listen to episodes, listen to women to see how they were taking care of themselves and, you know, hearing different self-care habits and saying, oh, I really like that. Let me try that on for size. And now it's the same thing. As I become a mom, I see different, um, you know, ways of structuring your life or taking care of yourself or taking care of yourself and your children. And it's like, okay, let me take that on for size. Let me leave everything else because that just doesn't serve me. Um, I, I think it's a great thing, though, because um, uh, because the thing is, um, I've been in personal growth and transformation for 18 years. And one of the biggest questions that people have usually is, so how do I change the mindset? Because we all understand that mindset is the key. Uh, yet when somebody tells you that, you know, if you have this kind of mindset, then you can't be rich. You have to adopt, let's say, the mindset of the wealthy people. And then you look at that, you listen to that, and it kind of makes sense. But you still don't understand how can I start feeling this way or, or thinking this way or finding uh, seeing the world this way so the biggest question that you, people usually have is how do I change my belief system so you might discover that for example uh, the, the idea that a child means that your life is going to change or turn upside down or you have to have less you're going to have less freedom you might decide at some point consciously cognitively that this is a uh, a belief that doesn't uh, support you, that doesn't um, help you grow or is not empowering belief. But then the most, most important question comes is, what do you exchange it for? Because exchanging it for the complete opposite, the 180 degrees turn doesn't necessarily work. And the truth might be not the 180 degrees turn. So for example, if you say that, oh, child is the loss of freedom, then uh the opposite statement would be child is the finding of freedom, which obviously isn't true and uh, maybe isn't also the the kind of belief which is supporting. So uh, the fact that uh, social media allows you to see the different scenarios and the different possibilities is amazing because uh, our belief system is, uh, I I like this uh, idea that our beliefs is like virus that 
feeds on evidence. So if you want to change your way of thinking, you have to start seeing the evidence. Uh, another example from a slightly different um Angle. I, I remember I had a chat with a fairly young person. He was 25 or something in uh, in Russia, in St. Petersburg, and we were talking about life expectancy and, and health and energy. And he said such a weird thing. He said, I don't want to be old. I don't want to live past 70 because why would I? I'll be uh, old and sick. And I, what's the point? Uh, like surviving. Uh, and I was thinking... Um, how odd that such a young person would think this way, uh, trying to uh, explain to him that, you know, scientists actually have proven that the children, let's say my, my children, their generation is going to live until 130 and, you know, uh, life expectancy extends and our health extends and our energy extends and he just wouldn't believe it. Mm. Because he had uh, no example? Had discussion and it was so strange. The thing is that his, his mind doesn't see the evidence of the opposite. Mm. Once you open up and you see people who are in their 90s picking up uh, bachata, then you think that, oh, maybe living until 90s is not such a bad idea. Mm. So that's why in that, if you look at uh, social media or any kind of other glossy examples from that angle that you get, your belief system gets to feed on other great examples. And mm -hmm. it's not bad. The only thing you have to remember that a lot of the stuff is absolutely fake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all half of the story. Mm -hmm. And that's also another important thing, although, uh, and uh, that, that aspect is important so that you don't start comparing and don't start going on the downward spiral because comparison is a huge killer of happiness and contentment. Mm -hmm. Comparison. Yet, if you look at it as a possibility, then maybe somebody who's painting a perfect picture, which doesn't, doesn't even exist, mm -hmm. can become your reality. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you never know what might be true. Yeah. You get to choose how you feel about it. And, it, and it's so true. It's a mindset um, issue. Because if you see a possible way of living and you get excited about it, you've chosen to get excited about it. But if you see it as like, oh, woe is me. I don't have that. Um, I'm never going to have that, or I don't know how to have that, then you've chosen to feel that way. It's the same thing with, um, I talk about stress management a lot and, mm -hmm. um, how it, you know, stress management is us choosing how we react to perceived stress. Um, so it's the same thing. So I, uh, I appreciate that extra little layer so that we can always check our mindset as we are moving through the, the fun social media world of, uh, of, of watching motherhood. Um, so you mentioned, um, when you had your second child that you were excited to get back to work and, um, there's, you know, I'm, I've just become a new mom. I have twins and they're 10 months old. And so I'm, I'm just entering this journey of navigating you know, the definition of what mom guilt is. <laughs> and I think it's, again, it's, you know, it's a choice. We get to choose whether or not we feel it um, or not. And, you know, it's been created for us. And there's so many conversations where women are saying like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to leave my child. I feel so much guilt leaving them alone. And so it's perpetuating, you know, this concept that if we choose to go back to work uh, during a certain time, um, that we're judged for it. And then we judge ourselves as well. So how did you navigate? Um, I'm assuming you didn't have that because you sound so confident. So, 
<laughs> if, if that wasn't the case, please, please shine a light on whether or not you um, suffered from mom guilt as you entered back into the working world. Well, um, yeah, I have, of course. My oldest child is 13, so I've been in this journey for a while. Um, and it would be a longish answer. So probably the most, the stronger, the strongest feeling of, it wasn't guilt per se, it was fear, was when I uh, got my first nanny. As I said, with the first child, I was, for one year, I was hands-on mom. Uh, it's a Euro- European tradition. But I lived in uh, Malaysia um, because uh, my then husband is Malaysian and, and we lived with his family there, his huge family. <clears throat> and everybody was telling me I need to get help. Because that's uh, that's how the things are done in Asia. You don't do things yourself. Uh, and I got my first nanny. I only demanded that I will get my own nanny from Europe. Uh, it's a whole different story. Like logistics <laughs> of having children is is something I can talk about for really a really long time. But I got my first nanny, and uh, that was uh, the scariest part probably. And I've, I've changed a few nannies every time getting the new person is, is that that one moment where my, the mom in me is the most emotional and the most, um, the most, uh, unhinged. <laughs> I can say that probably, mm-hmm. uh, and my worry was that what if my child gets attached to the nanny? What if the nanny becomes more important person because nanny spends so much more time with the kid and I'm busy at work? Um, and at that time, actually, my first work was I was working for UN. So I was actually uh, an employee in a big structure going to the office. So I didn't have the um, the freedom uh, to choose for myself. Although maybe now I'd have the audacity to suggest that I'll bring my child over with me. <laughs> it was later that I realized that there is a difference between a mother and a caregiver. And there will be a lot of caregivers for your children throughout their lives. Uh, nursery, kindergarten, school, uh, friends, they're not caregivers, but they're peers and they will uh, influence your, your children. You, you just cannot be, af- uh, you can't be afraid of these kind of things. Mm. So it, it was my personal transformation journey to come to peace with having someone else in my children's life, someone that they get attached to very much and love very much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know uh, that uh, as long as I'm a plugged in, uh, involved, caring, loving mother, uh, and as long as I, uh, as I'm conscious in that process, as if um, what, what I mean is that uh, I try to maintain the connection with the children as strong as it can be. Yeah. We all have in our life so many people with whom we have connections. We have connections with our love partners, with our friends, with our parents, with our children. So children can have connections with other people as well and you. Mm-hmm. So that was my biggest, uh, probably the most emotional part of mom, mom guilt. When it comes to mom guilt uh, regarding work and uh, motherhood, I have way less of that uh, because my choice is to introduce my children to my work as much as I can. And because I'm an entrepreneur and I can set my own rules, uh, our company is very child-friendly in, in everything, in every aspect, uh, because I believe that children have to see what their parents are doing. They have to see that life is not um, is not some kind of funny like hamster's wheel if uh, if that's a good comparison mm. where you know a parent goes off somewhere like into a black box comes back tired exhausted not having enough energy to deal with a child mm. and then says that I do that for the sake of money for me it's important that my children get to come to the office if they feel like it or if they have the opportunity that they get to come to business trips with me and sometimes I remember with my second child she was four and a half months old when I was doing a speech at one huge event with a few thousand uh, people's people 
And I couldn't even sleep that night because she was nursing the whole time. So I came on stage and I said, I'm sorry, guys, I'm a little out of whack because I didn't sleep. My child is here. But that's people take it okay. We are fine. We understand we're humans and it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It's You can keep living and doing things. But my choice is to engage my children into my work when they have the chance. Now, of course, they have less chances because they go to school, so they have their own life. But as babies, they have been with me to so many places. And just to share maybe... Just to finish it up, uh, I remember I was uh, with with, uh, Hayden, my oldest son, when he was uh, just about two years old or three years old. We were on Richard Branson's island uh, and having dinner with him. And I was actually uh, chatting with Richard at that moment. And my child was somewhere along uh, along the cushions among the grownups, just falling asleep, nodding off. (laughs) And I sit there and I'm like, Richard, I feel like such a bad mom. He's like, when I was younger, my children would come to meetings with me and I have a meeting at the table and they're sleeping under the table. (laughs) Oh, come on. If your children did that and they turned out well, I think my child is okay. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I think that's such a great perspective to have, um, you know, going back to what you said, um, about the Malaysian culture, like it takes a village. Um, and, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, like I think European culture is very much embedded in so many different North American cultures as well that, you know, we think we have to do it all alone. And, um, my audience knows that my husband and I moved across the country to British Columbia at the beginning of 2020. Um, just after I found out I was pregnant with twins and we were like, I guess we're doing this. We moved away from our families, away from our friends. And then the pandemic hit, we had our children and, I can't do it alone. I can't, I can't raise twins by myself. I needed help. And we were able to find, um, I had an amazing postpartum doula. And then I was able to hire a part-time nanny. And, um, I just hired a full-time nanny as I returned to work. And I felt, um, not bad, but I, it was very hard for me to accept and ask for help because I thought I had to do it on my on my own, um, because my mother was such an amazing stay at home mother. And then she reminded me that she had a nanny that I was partially raised by a nanny. Um, and I can sort of recall and remember pieces of, of her. Um, and that's when, you know, I just said, okay, like I, I can accept help. And we've moved back to Ontario um, so that we can be close to our, our village or our community because we, we just can't we can't do it alone. And I shared in um, my last solo episode announcing this topic series um, that, you know, I've hired a full-time nanny. And I had a friend who gave me this perspective, and it sounds very much similar to what you just shared, is that it's just someone else that gets to love on your baby or your babies. It's someone else in the world that gets to care for them. And it's, it's more love in their life. And when I heard that perspective, it gave me a lot of peace around, um, having a nanny, not kind of, you know, diminishing the fact that yes, I, I want to be there. I, I I love being there. And when I'm with my children, I'm ever present. I'm so conscious of that. Um, but I love working and I want to show them that they can, they can go after their goals. Um, and, and their dreams that, that they, they, they don't have to choose. They can do everything you can't do. You can't do it all. You have to choose what you're, what you're capable of doing. Um, 
And, you know, you do need full-time help if you do choose to go back to work or you're going to run yourself just completely ragged. So um, maybe share for our listeners um, and you can share at any point of the journey, but how are you structuring work and life um, and your priorities so that, you know, it all flows together in a way that fills you up? Hmm. Well, I, I do want to comment on the nanny though. You know, what helps me as well is that um, I, I see nanny or the caregiver or, or the teacher now, because my kids are grown up, more, uh, I mean, bigger now, uh, as a person who who does uh, some of the very necessary work and sparing me the effort. Uh, and um, you see, when you believe that you have to do everything yourself and you are still going to squeeze your work in there, you're just not going to get appropriate sleep, appropriate rest. What happens is that by the time your children are not going to get to you, they're going to get a, a stressed out, neurotic, uh, very tired and very out of resource uh, version, your body, essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not not your heart and your soul. Mm-hmm. But if you have someone helping you, uh, you get to spare that energy and to actually give your children you and not a shadow of you. Mm. So for me, that is the most important argument. It's not that someone else gives them love. It's someone else takes away a lot of the very hard work so that you get you get the energy to be there for your children really and not just be there, you know, like like a semi-dead zombie body. Yeah. <laughs> Actual human being who actually has attention and care and time and patience <laughs> because you haven't spread yourself thin. And if it makes you feel any better. When I lived in Asia, I actually had four people in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and now having coming to you having come to Europe, I still have a lot of people helping me in yeah. the house because uh delegating your household is the only space where you can buy, buy yourself time mm-hmm. Time is the resource which just goes one way, and if you lose it, you don't get it back and The thing is that uh while in household it's very easy understandable, and sometimes we think we have to do it because that's well, I was born in Soviet Union, we didn't have anyone helping us around the house. it was totally. Totally no, no, because it was a socialist society. Uh, so uh, you would be probably uh, damned by the society if you had someone coming and help you uh, with the household. Mm. Uh, but the thing is that we take this mentality into our businesses very often. And we think that I will be doing everything myself. I can do everything myself. I'm a good girl. I'm a perfectionist. I'm, you know, like this uh, straight A student. So why don't I do everything myself? But that's wrong. What I learned in my long time of being an entrepreneur and uh, mother is that I do only the things that only I can do. If there is anything, whether it's at home or in the office that someone else can do, even if they do it worse, by the way, I'm such a good cleaner. I can clean any apartment better than any professional. <laughs> but I don't do that. I haven't done that in 20 years because mm. I have someone coming and helping us. Yeah. Uh, the same with business. I can do so many things. I used to do marketing. I can do it better than most of my marketers, but I don't do that because there are people who can do that. Maybe not hundred percent as I would do, but if they do it 80, 90%, it gets the world, uh, the work done. What I do whether it's with children, whether it's at home, whether it's uh, at work, is only the things that I, only I can do. And for children, the parent is needed there to support them emotionally, to be their guide in terms of their values, their um, belief system, mm-hmm. and to give them love. A parent is absolutely not necessary for feeding, changing diapers, and all these things. Mm. 
Yeah, that's it. I know we might think that, oh, come on. And I have done all of that. By the way, I've I, I breastfed for such a long time. I can, uh, it's not that I haven't done that, but I chose mm-hmm. to spare my energy so that what I give to my children is full 100% on and I'm not spread thin. Mm-hmm. And now I've forgotten the question. Sorry, I got so excited. That's okay. About it. Um, before, before you answer it, though, um, I did want to, what just popped into my head is the whole fear thing about the nanny. When you were talking, I was smiling because. Um, the first day that our full-time nanny started, um, she took them on a walk fairly soon after coming into the home. And I remember just like full panic attack as they walked out of the house. And I made my husband get in the car and drive and follow them because <laughs> I had like just full fear. I'm like, where is she taking them? He's like, they're just going to the park. I'm like, but how do you like just full on panic attack? And I made him follow her. <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand. I've, I've had that too. All my nannies knew that they have to have their phone very handy because if I call and they don't pick up, I'm going to be having a hard attack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, but to get to back to the question, yeah. So how do you structure your work-life harmony now hmm. between working and family? Well, uh, I, do, I did give a premise in terms of my, my uh, most important rule in work is that I don't do things which someone else can do. So I only do things that only I can do as an entrepreneur and an author. I believe, uh, well, author particularly, it's a creative process. You cannot create out of a hamster's wheel. The problem with us entrepreneurs is that, especially the beginners or the small and medium-sized entrepreneurs, is that we are often slaves of our own business. We're not uh, entrepreneurs as creators. We are entrepreneurs and uh, the CEO and the manager and the executive director and everything possible in the business. And we are at the service of the business. And that's obviously is not going to work. So um, for me, uh, maybe I'm too less as fair. I'm not sure. I've always trusted the, the flow of things, but I believe that nothing uh, nothing will happen, even if everything uh, falls down and breaks down and nobody's at work and everybody's on holiday. The world is not going to end. And it, when that disaster is over, I'll get back to work and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put it back together because maybe because I've had, uh, I, my sh- part of the business works for Russia, uh, Russian speaking markets. So, uh, just for the context, a few years ago, Russia and Ukraine went into war and they had terrible inflation, uh, economic crisis, actual war, war activities be- between the two biggest markets for my business. It was 80% of my market in, in chaos. And it just coincided that um, we have massively mismanaged um, I had a business partner with whom we didn't see eye to eye. So I separated with the business partner while the business was mismanaged. The market was in chaos and I lost my biggest author. And um, now six years later, my business is stronger than ever. So when you experience things like that, you realize that nothing in the world will be the end of the world. Mm. Even if you lose, uh, my business is very different from what it was then. Mm-hmm. It's completely reinvented, mm-hmm. but it is a continuation of what it was then. I didn't close it. I was thinking about going bankrupt, but I didn't close it. It is a continuation. I build on my experience. I build on my knowledge. The brand is still there. So it is still there. It's just very different. The thing is that the biggest asset that you have is you, is your sanity and your health. Mm-hmm. And your resourceful state, resourceful state. I'm not talking about health. Oh, I have all my limbs attached to me and I don't have chronic disease. But if you're unhappy, if you're anxious, if you're worried, 
you're not in your uh, optimal primary uh, resourceful state. Mm-hmm. I research I research happiness a lot, and happiness actually and success. And there's a huge misconception. We believe that happiness is um, is a reward for success, or it's a byproduct of meaningful life. If you listen to uh, a lot of speakers, authors nowadays, like contemporary discourse about happiness is that it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You have to have meaningful life. You have to have uh, success, and then then you'll be happy. But the truth is, research, actual research shows that it's not true. Happiness is not secondary. Success doesn't bring you happiness. What research shows that if you're happy, you're much more likely to be successful. Mm. So your resourceful state, you you in the resourceful state is your biggest asset. Mm. Everything else you can rebuild, you can reinvent, you can start from scratch, you can find new opportunities. And if you put this at the center, it will... Uh, it will give you decisions for everything in your life. So my priority is always my children, always. But I love my work so much. So if I can stick my children to the side and say, can you can you go out and walk in the park? I, I'm too busy. I don't have time. <laughs> I'll do that because I like I like to do my work. But if it was the matter of death, uh, life or death, my children always take priority. Mm. And I have canceled meetings. I have canceled interviews. I have said no to important people for the sake of my children. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So, But yeah. they're independent. Lazy moms have the most uh, independent and functional children, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so did you, before this, um, you know, global crisis uh, that changed your business, but did you ever have a moment in your life when you realized that you needed to take care of yourself differently than maybe you had been before? Uh, yes, uh, but that's that's a little deeper than taking care of because when uh, another another interesting idea is self love, and self love was my big journey. In fact, that's the topic uh, that I talk about the most is uh, is self love and self acceptance, and uh, contemporary society equates self love to uh, self care a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm okay with self-care, and honestly, uh, I'm a little less aspire here as well. I might, uh, I actually love. Uh, pandemic was awesome. I could spend the whole day in pajamas and forget to take shower. <laughs> but my my thing is self-love, and that's uh, deeper than uh, taking time to meditate. Uh, actually, what was supposed to meditate before this interview, but I, I'll probably have to do it afterwards. Or, uh, or taking time to, uh, to take a slow, nice shower or to go for a walk. I do that. If I forget it, it's not a big deal. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, sometimes we forget breakfast and it's okay. We don't, we, we don't collapse and die. We, next time we remember to eat it because it's not very, very good. So for me, the self-care rituals, if I skip them, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to mess me up. So, uh, like yesterday, I had a very messy day and it, I was getting anxious. So I just make, in the middle of the day, I just took a decision. Okay, this day I'm writing off. Not a big deal. I write off one day. It was, it didn't turn out as I wanted it. So the same with self-care. My journey was uh, understanding self-love. And that is about taking yourself with all your flaws, with all your inconsistencies, with the fact that you love your children, but you actually love your work so much that sometimes you let your <laughs> children just stay, hang out by themselves. And accepting myself with that and loving myself with that and learning kindness towards myself. So my self-care journey was about um, figuring out the relationship with myself beyond all the rituals. But I do have rituals, of course, from time to time. Do you have any non-negotiables in terms of self-love, not self-care? Do you have any like non-negotiables that you need to make sure that you're always taking care of yourself? Kindness. 
Yeah. And tolerance towards my, my quirks and, and I make mistakes like everybody else, but as long as I can remember that I have to be kind to myself hmm. and I've done things with my children that I regret. And I still sometimes wake up in the middle of the night thinking like, how could I do that? And that was like 10 years ago. But then I remind myself I have to be kind to myself. And sometimes my kids find me funny because I can shake them up in the middle of the night. Hey, Dan, I think I was so horrible. He's like, mom, I know you love me. Can I sleep? <laughs> We do not need to talk about this right now. (laughs) That's great. Um, What would you say you are most passionate about? Oh, passionate. Hmm. So many things about life (laughs) itself and its full entirety (laughs) with its everything, with its up and down, uh, ups and downs and lights and darknesses and and pleasure and pain with everything. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's that's my my biggest passion, just to take this experience, which I do not know, maybe it's unique, maybe it's the once in in the universal universal timeline experience, who knows. But what I have right now, just just, um, enjoying it to the fullest. Mm. So you've talked about um, happiness and happiness research. And, um, you've kind of alluded to your business. So what would you say you're most passionate about there? About happiness? About happiness and, and Mind Valley and yeah. Well, Mind Valley is a different story altogether. It's, I think we all, uh, every, every single person actually has quite a few lighthouses that they, uh, that they navigate by because I definitely have a lighthouse in terms of my, my children, um, my, our business, Mind Valley, is a different lighthouse. Uh, my Russian business is is another lighthouse. So I have different um, passions and goals for for each of them. But when it comes to happiness and my work as an author, then I guess. Uh, what I would like to see is that people stop think- thinking that happiness is a byproduct and give themselves permission to prioritize it. Uh, and there are, there are a few aspects which, which are in the way, in a sense. We, we put them in our own way. Uh, aspect number one is that a lot of people don't think it's a serious goal. Uh, as I was just saying, the public discourse, contemporary public discourse is that, oh, don't chase happiness. Those who chase happiness don't feel it, that it happens. Somehow it happens. But we don't even have understanding of what it means. How can you just randomly hope to stumble on anything? We think we have to work on our, uh, on our goal, on our business, on our family, on our love relationships. Yet happiness just happens. And we don't even have the definition for that. So my big, uh, one of my big passions is to actually make it a priority and actually give people, uh, well, I, I can't give people permission, but uh, maybe suggest that we don't take it as a byproduct. It's not going to happen unless you understand what it is and unless you learn to, to do something for that. And also, it's not a fluffy goal. As I said, research shows that you need your resourceful state if you want to achieve anything. The state of flow actually is not very different from, like, part of the state of flow is being content and happy and then the present moment. Mm. And we, uh, and again, you know, you, you are five times more productive in the state of flow. We talk about being overwhelmed and having so much to do. The thing is that because we do, we, um, we romanticize hustling and busyness over actually uh, over actually understanding that your optimal uh, resourceful state is something which is going to uh, be much more productive is what's going to 
create more, uh, help you to succeed better. Uh, you create stuff, you, you achieve stuff, and then you also enjoy the process much more than just being hustling and busy. So, uh, the, so the number one thing is that we deprioritize de happiness and we don't even understand what it is. Uh, most of us have some kind of very vague mythical idea. It's like a unicorn. Everybody knows what it is, but nobody has actually seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have my explanation why 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 that happens. Um, and the other thing is that we somehow think that uh, there is this martyrdom idea that you have to suffer for something bigger, for something better, for something more important, mm. that you are not important, that someone else is more important or oh, help others, you'll be happy. I'll share another story from my own life. Um, I used to, uh, years ago, I used to work with uh, refugees, with the uh, UN and refugees in Asia. And these are some of the most miserable people who have lost everything uh, financially, all their family members, and they are displaced on top of that. And parallel, we were building Mind Valley, a company that actually promotes uh, extraordinary, uh, meaningful, happy life. So I, I constantly had this contradiction. I see misery on one side. On the other side, I'm telling people that they have to be extraordinarily happy and uh, fulfilled. And it just happened so that um, I, we had an audience with uh, Dalai Lama. And I, uh, I asked him that question. I said, I don't know how to reconcile. How can I talk about happiness when I know that there are people who are unhappy? And Dalai Lama's answer was super simple. He said, Christina, you can't help anyone if you're not happy. Mm. And it's so funny. We think we have to help others to be happy, but you have to be happy if you want to help others. Mm-hmm. You have to help others out of your place of resource. And it's not me, it's Dalai Lama, I, but I, I pass his word to you guys. Be happy. It's important. <laughs> that's, um, that's so fascinating. I've toyed with um, two parts of the definition of an alpha female is when she puts herself first. It used to be. Um, an alpha female puts herself first so that she can be more for those around her. And then someone came on and was like, no, she puts herself first, like period, end of sentence. Um, she needs to put herself first for her byproduct. She's then able to be so much more for everyone else. And I'm like, well, it's still, it's, it's still combined. Um, but, uh, I absolutely love, I also love that you've like thrown out Richard Branson and Dalai Lama's <laughs> names in one, in, in one interview. <laughs> Um, there was something else that I wanted to capture there. Um, oh, it was this like chasing happiness and, uh, everyone has a different definition. One of my favorite, I always ask it at the end of the podcast. So like foreshadowing, I'm going to ask you every single guest gets asked, what is your definition of happiness? Because I absolutely love hearing how people define it or pinpoint it. And it's, it's so fun to just hear so many different viewpoints on it. Um, I love that. Um, okay. I want to get back to one question because I think it's important to, you know, all the things that you're, you're doing in your life. Um, and it also sounds that you're not like a, a superhuman and you don't experience stress. So, um, maybe get into some self-care rituals because I love sharing tactics, but what do you okay. do, um, on a daily basis to reduce stress if it's started to build up? Well, uh, the number one rule about stress is that stress is not as harmful to you as the stress about the stress. And that's the most <laughs> important thing. And I was battling with insomnia for quite a long time. I actually started healing out of it when I was reminded of that concept. It's a psychological thing. It's uh, pure science. And uh, then when I was uh, uh, sleepless in the middle of the night, I, I wasn't beating myself up or being nervous or upset or worried. I was like, okay, 
I am not sleeping. And that itself was a huge help uh, to battle with stress. Just reminding yourself that stress without stress is way more harmful. And stress per se is actually our uh, biological response. Uh, and uh, often it is required, especially if your task is physical task. Uh, so stress is required because it makes your body prepared for whatever burden is going to experience. So stress in itself is not really that bad. And, and research shows that if you believe that stress is harmful to you, it's going to be more harmful than if you uh, think that it's just natural. It happens from time to time, and you don't uh, you don't um, dig yourself too deep into that into that hole. But regarding the rituals, my very important ritual. Well, apart from never doing anything that someone else can do, <laughs> I'm a master at delegating and finding people to work for me, and that's that's probably my super skill. Uh, and I only do the things that only I can do. I write my book, I speak at events, I do interviews, and I do attend uh, meetings. And once in a while, when I have leisure time, I will jump in and do some uh, handiwork because I enjoy that too. But if I'm overwhelmed, my priorities are writing book, being an author, being the face of the business and, and the main decision maker. Everything else, it can either burn or I can find someone to do it. And as I said, because I survived uh, near bankruptcy, nothing is ever killing you. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> we are sometimes overestimating the dangers. But in terms of rituals, uh, I like to start my mornings very slow and very uh, at peace. So I don't like stress uh, in the beginning of the day. I might uh, ease myself into stress by the evening. I'm much easier with that. But if my day starts upside down, I will write it off uh, at 10 a.m. and I will go and sleep the rest of it through <laughs> so then I can start the next day uh, differently. Uh, I have a favorite ritual and that's the only one which I still always do religiously. I called it kid pile. Uh, in the morning, I like to hug both my kids. Now they sleep in different beds, so I have to do it one by one. But when it was smaller, <laughs> I would take both of them and it would be a pile of me and the kids. And uh, we have this uh, very simple ritual with my daughter now. She's the younger one. Uh, we um, like to start the morning by reminding each other that uh, we are loved. So I say, human, I love you. Because every human has to wake up in the morning and know that somebody loves the human. Mm. So she tells me, human, I love you too. That's, that's <laughs> the These are the rituals which are uh, always there. They're very very easy to do. So stress-free morning, preferably slow. If I can take it slow and be in a pajama for a while. But of course, with kids going to school, it's uh, not the same. Uh, and, and the kid pile and uh, the human, I love you. But I also, if I have the time and opportunity, I do a, a one-hour walk. Um, it's a necessity because of the lockdown. And, uh, and now I live in the north, so I need to expose myself to sun in winter. So I've been doing, uh, in around midday, I use, uh, I've been doing a one-hour walk. And now I try to combine them with some meetings that I can follow while walking just to optimize time and of course meditation when I remember it <laughs> yeah oh that's awesome we um uh I call it a puppy pile because we have um two dogs as well so before we had kids we had two dogs and it was like getting down on the floor and everybody piled onto each other and I remember going to um an event it's called camp yoga and it's um adult summer camp with yoga and uh, there's one class that the founder teaches every time. And at the end of class, he gets everybody to pile on, into like this big pile. So you always have like a head on someone's stomach, someone's <laughs> head on your stomach. And it's just this big pile of people. And it's amazing. Um, so I love that. And we, we do it with our kids now. So they're, um, they're almost 11 months old. And after they've had their bottle, after we get them up, 
Um, I'm just in, we call it, we call it baby jail, but it's a playpen. Um, but I'm in baby jail with them. (laughs) So they, they can't escape right now. Um, and yeah, they finish their bottle and it's just, it's just hugs and tickling and giggling for, um, we have an hour in the morning from the time they wake up to the time the nanny comes. So it's just, uh, just being so present and playing, um, which definitely is a perfect way for us to start the day. Well, we have an evening ritual, by the way, when it comes to kids. I sing for them and yeah. we read a book. Yeah. It's, they're so important and it's important to be present in the moment while you do that. I used to plan my next uh, speech or video during that time until one day I realized like, oh my God, time flies so by. It's yeah. like I'm, I'm sitting, I'm singing here almost in autopilot, whereas I should just enjoy the fact that they're small. So I think the most important thing is that when you end that ritual, even if it's just five minutes, mm-hmm. if you can just be full on there, that's the most important. Yeah, agreed. Um, what's a piece of advice you would give a 20 something that hasn't yet realized she's an alpha female? <laughs> I actually, I think I'm quite content with my life the way it was. And uh, I believe that I would let myself do the same mistakes. There are a few people I might have won myself against. <laughs> run, run, baby, run. Uh, but uh, I think that, uh, I do not know if you've seen this, uh, your kids are a little too small, but there, there was this movie, Cars, cartoon, actually animated movie. And there's this character, Mater, he's a, a toe to towing car and super scratched and dented and and rusty and and they suggest that he he makes himself beautiful and he says no i like my dance and and you know it's his message is that this all makes me me so i would actually uh, probably let myself do the same mistakes because i wouldn't have been what i am if i had not if i had not gone through my uh through my lessons in yeah. life okay yeah it's hard because it's like would you go back in time and whisper to yourself, like, hey, beware of this person, but you still need to go through the lesson, but like... Some maybe, people I would. Yeah, like, <laughs> maybe learn the lesson a little faster than you did last time. Um, all right. Okay, so this is great. So last question of the podcast, I always ask it, um, but how would you define happiness today? Happiness is such a favorite topic. I could talk about it for a long time, but I'll, I'll share one definition of happiness, which I, uh, it's anonymous from some internet meme, but I think it's brilliant. Uh, and it says, uh, happy are those people who can be on a detour and still enjoy the scenery. Mm. And I think the whole world has been on such a long detour. If you can still enjoy the scenery while you are on it, and a lot of times in life we are on a detour, then you figured out what it means to be happy. Awesome. So if um, somebody wanted to read your book or books, none of it was in your bio, so we haven't yet heard um, what, what you are authoring, um, maybe share with our listeners where can, they can find that. I'm writing a book and I feel uh, that I should write it faster. <laughs> I've been writing it for, for at least a month. Uh, so uh, I'm writing a book, about, a book about finding path back to myself. So it's not out there. I do share some bits and pieces of it and uh, I do share quite a lot on Instagram. So the only place to to just uh, get to know me better is Instagram, but of course Mind Valley as well. There, I'm one of the co-founders, one of the authors, so you'll see a lot of awesomeness there, but occasionally you'll see me as well. Sounds great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Have you downloaded the Work-Life Harmony worksheet yet? 
In this free guide, I walk you through how to optimize five key areas of your life so that you can start designing your own work-life harmony. So from nutrition to supplements, sleep, stress management, and reducing your toxic load, I share tips and tricks that get you thinking on how you can optimize your life currently. So I ask you simple questions that just get you to rethink different aspects of your life. I walk you through a prioritization exercise so you can figure out which area of your life you actually want to maybe overhaul or tackle or just make small changes in first. So you can download that over at bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet, all one word, bit.ly forward slash work life harmony worksheet. Thank you for listening to the Alpha Female Podcast. Be sure and visit robinbaldwin.com. That's Robin with a Y, B-A-L-D-W-I-N for access to show notes and other amazing blogs. If you loved this episode of the Alpha Female Podcast, be sure to head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more amazing Alpha Females are able to find this content. It's so very much appreciated that you take this small effort to help this show succeed. 